Okay, good. Thank you very much, Tim. Um, so, my name is Derek Green. I'm uh, a postdoc with the uh, Clique Research Cluster, um, which is based in Castle at the, the very far end, or in fact, off the edge of the, the campus. And um, we're interested in uh, network analytics and uh, data mining. Uh, we look at a, a variety of different application areas, um, mobile uh, call data, uh, financial data, um, and in my own case, uh, I particularly focus on the analysis of uh, social media data. And today I'm going to talk about um, uh, a range of different um, uh, pieces of work that we've uh, conducted in Clique over the last um, 18 months or so, uh, which are focused mainly on uh, Twitter data. So I'll just give you a, an overview of, of what I'll cover. I'll, I'll briefly introduce this notion of, of social uh, news gathering, which is really the, the motivation for uh, the work that we, we've done here. Um, I'll talk about this problem of user list curation, which is uh, very much at the center of, of, of social news gathering. Um, I'll then talk about um, the problem of trying to detect breaking news stories on, on social me media websites. Um, slightly different topic is, is finding communities of users on those sites and then tracking those communities over time because obviously uh, social media data has a very strong temporal component. Um, and then I'll talk about some uh, ongoing and, and future work that, uh, that I'm involved in. Um, so just sort of to, to motivate a, a lot of this work, um, in the last um, two years or so, we've seen the emergence of what might be called the, the social media newsroom. Uh, and what this newsroom looks like is essentially teams of journalists who spend all day, every day, monitoring and engaging with uh, users and communities on Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and, and so on. Uh, and it's very much a, a new development. It's, it's different from the, the traditional form of journalism. Um, but it's something that's becoming increasingly important for um, um, news organizations. I'm going to focus primarily on Twitter in, in this talk. Um, a couple of reasons why Twitter is particularly useful um, in the social media newsroom. Um, it's, uh, people can post uh, quickly, the messages are short. Uh, it's, by its nature, it's very much public. Uh, although you can have private accounts, generally speaking, the vast majority of accounts are public, um, perhaps different from certainly uh, the way some people would use um, uh, Facebook and so on. Uh, there's been relatively little censorship of the use of, of Twitter. Um, and as you'll see, it's a particularly useful uh, form of, of information uh, um, in the case of many breaking news stories. So um, for journalists who are interested in harnessing the, the power of, of Twitter, um, there are a couple of key questions that they might want to answer. Um, firstly, if you've got a news story, so let's say the, um, you've got a long-running story like the, the US presidential election last year, uh, you've potentially got thousands of users um, who are relevant to this story. Um, how do you monitor the tweeting activity, the posts, the, the content that's being generated by those uh, users um, at the same time? Now obviously the US presidential election was only one story last year. There were many other um, significant news stories happening at the same time. So how do you monitor all of those stories simultaneously? Um, next, given a story, how do you find the eyewitnesses and the gatekeepers. Um, eyewitnesses might be people on the ground who um, are uh, posting about what they're seeing um, in, in their location. They might be posting links to YouTube videos or, or photos. So for example, in the case of Syria, we've seen um, some quite dramatic uh, footage being published on YouTube uh, via Twitter um, from people who are, are witnessing what's, what's happening there. Um, a slightly different type of, of user, which is referred to as a gatekeeper, might be um, people who are good at finding eyewitnesses repeatedly. So uh, you might say that the person who tweeted uh, about overhearing the, the, hearing the helicopters um, during the um, attack on, on bin Laden, um, this IT consultant in Afghanistan, very briefly this person was kind of eyewitness to that event. But then he went back to tweeting about IT-related matters, and it's probably not very interesting from the point of view of, of, of journalists. 
but the gatekeepers are the people who repeatedly find valuable content. They repeatedly identify eyewitnesses and then aggregate that information. So trying to find those people um, you know, in particular locations is, is highly valuable. Um, and then there's the related um, problem of trying to discover valu valuable user-generated content. So the, the YouTube videos, the, um, the, the photographs posted on Twitter and so on. And then uh, there's the problem of, okay, you know, the, these items here assume that we already know what the story is, but how do you detect breaking news on Twitter and how do you do that uh, ahead of your competitors? Because time really is um, uh, incredibly important here in, in terms of trying to get the story first. Um, and bearing in mind these kind of problems, what we've done is we've developed uh, analytics techniques to support journalists in finding the, the valuable signal from the, the sea of noise on Twitter. And the, the key word here, which should probably be underlined, is support. Um, I'm interested in data mining and machine learning, but um, I'm never going to suppose that what we're going to do is going to replace the journalist. All we're trying to do is try and um, help the journalist who's completely overloaded with data, try and deal with that data more effectively and support them in their day-to-day -day life. We're not expecting that they're going to change the way they work. We're just going to try and help them be, uh, be more effective and more efficient. Um, and the work that we've done has been in collaboration with uh, Storyful. Um, for those of you who don't know Storyful, um, they're an Irish startup um, founded by Mark Little, who was previously with, with RTE. Uh, they're very much, they see themselves as a social media newsroom. Uh, they've got the vast majority of people they employ, uh, about 30 or so plus foreign correspondents would be journalists. They have a small number of technology people as well. And, um, they're trying to position themselves as a, a social media newswire. So they would try and identify content, valuable content quickly, and then that would be syndicated on to Reuters or to um, CNN or the New York Times and so on. So um, I'll talk a bit about this, this issue of uh, user list curation. Um, there's a nice piece of functionality that, that Twitter provides um, for those of you who aren't familiar with Twitter. Um, and that's, it allows any user to group other users into uh, user lists. Um, it's not a piece of functionality that Twitter particularly emphasized, but it's, it's quite useful. So, I mean, maybe you just want to create a list that has um, a set of your friends on that list. You could do that. Maybe you want to create a list that has your, your favorite sports people. You can do that as well. But news outlets uh, such as Storyful, Telegraph, Al Jazeera, and so on, are manually maintaining lists of users for different news stories. Um, and it's a way of, of monitoring the activity and the content that's being generated around those stories. So you might have a list that covers, say, the political situation in Bahrain. Uh, you might have a larger list that covers US politics. Um, and essentially, it allows you to divide up your, your larger set of users who you might be interested in into a subset that are um, related to a particular topic. Um, and the work the story will do is very much centered around user lists. So they've got a, a user list for every story They've got a user list for every um, uh, location, and they use that to, to, track, um, to track stories. Um, so what we've wanted to do is uh, to try and support this process, because previously, user list curation has been a, a very manual process. So um, what journalists are doing is literally they're sitting in front of Twitter, they're adding users as they come across them in tweets, and just you know, hoping that they'll, they'll find, they'll find the, the valuable users. Um, and what we've proposed is to use uh, network analytics to identify these kind of the key users that form the, the community around a news story. Um, and the, the basic idea is that the journalist provides a sort of an embryonic seed list. So this is the, the set of uh, people that they know personally, maybe journalists in Bahrain or Tunisia, that they can verify are, are good sources. And what we do is we um, use network analytics to recommend additional relevant users to expand this list um, and hopefully find valuable activity related to the, to the news story. So if it's the political situation in Bahrain, what we'd like to do is start off with the list provided by the journalist and then find other Twitter accounts that are potentially valuable uh, to the journalist on that, on that topic. Um, I'm going to try and not go into too much detail in this technical detail in this presentation, but I think it's worthwhile seeing the kind of workflow that the, uh, the system um, 
the, the user curation system uses. <coughs> As I said, we start off with a, a seed list, which is the input from the journalist. So we need some kind of input that basically guides us from the start. And there's a, a bootstrap process where we collect as much information as we can uh, from Twitter about these initial users. So we're trying to build up a, a sort of a, a network around these users. Uh, from that then, um, we, the key part of the system is this recommendation engine, which basically takes all the possible users in the network. So this could be hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, and essentially tries to rank them. Um, obviously, we don't want to return back a list of 10,000 users to the journalist. That's completely useless. What we want to return back is a list of 10 or 20 potential uh, uh, recommendations uh, ranked in descending order. And then the key part is the curator or the journalist is always part of the system. They're given this list. They can say, uh, thumbs up, yes, this person is, is relevant to the news story, or thumbs down, no, this is not relevant. And essentially, the system learns from this process and it repeats. And the idea being that gradually then we build up the, uh, the network around the, uh, around the news story. So we start off with something like this, and the idea being that ever after several iterations, we have a, a bigger network that's, that's relevant to the story. Um, in terms of actually recommending users, um, a lot of people tend to focus on using one particular source of information that, that comes from Twitter. Um, probably the two most popular sources of information would either be looking at the followers and friends of a particular user and trying to um, use that to identify other interesting users, or looking at tweet content and saying, well, this person tweets about the same kind of thing as this person, so we'll also uh, examine their activity. Um, but the key idea of our work for uh, user recommendation has been to generate recommendations by analyzing a, a variety of different sources inf of information provided by Twitter. So like I said, we've got follower and friend information. We've got uh, retweets, uh, which may or may not indicate an endorsement, but certainly there's a, there's kind of a, a, there's a relation there. We've got mentions. Uh, we've got tweet content, uh, as I said. And we've got also got other user lists. So if we look at uh, Joe Biden's account, uh, potentially if you look at his followers, or who he's following, sorry, he's following Michelle Obama, he's following the uh, White House petition account. Uh, if you were to look at who he mentions, he's mentioning FEMA, he's mentioning uh, Senator Menendez, who's a, a Democrat senator, senator from New Jersey. Uh, if you look at who he's retweeting, he's retweeting um, this Joining Forces account, which is, a, I think it's a, an organization for, for US war veterans. Uh, and if you were to look at similarity between tweets, you might say, well, he's got a tweet like this, which is talking about the meeting between the VP and um, President Hollande, and then US Embassy account is also tweeting something similar. Now, obviously, what you want to do is look at many tweets to try and get a better picture. But as you can see, these are all clues about uh, the type of user that, in this case, Joe Biden is. And it gives us, and what we want to do is use all this information when we're trying to produce our, our recommendations. Um, as I said, one of the, the other things we can look at would be existing user lists. Um, and the thing is, you, you'll find that for a given news topic or a given subject area, there are probably many other media outlets and individuals out there who are also interested in this area and who are also curating user lists on these topics. Um, and something that we've looked at is crowdsourcing these eff efforts to support list curation. So just to give you a very trivial example, um, there are these two user lists of Irish rugby players, one by uh, a journalist in the Irish Times and one from uh, the RTE. And what you can do is you can analyse these lists and you can say, well, okay, we've got, even if you know nothing at all about rugby, we've got Brian O'Driscoll and Rob Curry appearing in both of these lists. So the idea is that there's some kind of latent relationship between these two users. Now, obviously, this is just two lists, but imagine we saw that same co-occurrence on 100 lists or 1,000 lists. Then, with a good deal of certainty, we can say these two users have something in common. Um, and then we could do other things, like we could extract terms, like we could say, well, you know, this has got rugby in it, this has got rugby in it. You know, this, is, this guy is described as a pro rugby player, professional rugby player, and so on. And then we, we can get a sense of what the actual the list means. But it's actually, this kind of list information is 
we found it to be incredibly useful um, in a variety of different types of, um, of tasks that we've performed, but it's something that a lot of researchers haven't actually uh, looked at. Um, so just getting back to the, the actual recommendation process, as I said, rather than looking at a single source of information, what we do is we look at multiple sources of information. And this is what we'd, we'd refer to as a kind of a, a data integration approach. So uh, we rank the candidate users um, based on scores calculated from these, these different uh, network data sources. And I should emphasize that uh, for the user creation system, we only look at the network sources. We're not looking at tweet content in this case. So we're looking at followers, mentions, retweets, and then networks built from, from lists as well. And then we return the top ranked users, as I said, to the curator to accept and reject. And the idea is that you'd iteratively repeat this process where you uh, recommend users, journalist accepts or rejects them, uh, and then we go and gather more Twitter data, more up-to-date data, and we repeat this process. So the actual system was deployed in Stoyful um, in December 2011, and it's now been uh, used uh, as a live system by Storyful. Um, I think at the current count, the monitoring, uh, over 300 new stories with the, uh, the stories, so you're talking about tens of millions of tweets. Um, we also have uh, signed a, a licensing deal with uh, Storyful to use this uh, in their products in, in future. Currently, it's being used in-house uh, within Storyful. Um, this is just a, a kind of a, a picture of uh, a, a web interface that, that uh, gives you access to the different stories. In practice, the way um, Storyful are going to use this in their product is via uh, a web API. Um, Probably the most interesting screen of the, uh, the current uh, user interface is the list of recommended users. So for example, for the um, Afghanistan list, uh, these are the top recommended users. Um, and you can, as I said, you can accept or reject the recommendations and that updates the list. Um, there's also an explanation of who these users are and why they're being recommended. So for example, the first two users, um, the, um, the list, retweet information is particularly informative, whereas the third user, uh, who's a, a BBC Cabal correspondent, uh, is the follower information that's causing this person to be, to be recommended. The blacklisting? Yeah. Um, so basically, we have an, a kind of a default blacklist, which would be um, this of um, common um, media outlet names. So, you know, uh, Storyful don't want to be recommended CNN or they don't want to be recommended Al Jazeera because okay. they, they know who they are. Uh, and then on top of that, then the users who get rejected then are added to the blacklist on a per list basis. And so that's effectively where the, the thumbs down goes. sense they're both manual because the original listing was a list provided to us by Storyful saying these accounts you know we, we know them but we're not interested um, and then when users reject when a journalist rejects one of these recommendations that also goes on the blacklist but only for this specific topic yeah exactly yeah. My understanding is generally you'll have teams focusing on, you know, depending on the, the news topic, mm -hmm. um, you'll have multiple people working on the same list. There'll be only one person to kind of blacklist. Yeah, yeah, sorry, that's, that's correct. Um, I mean, often what will happen will be that there'll be one person working on the system, but then the output of this, the list of users, then there'll be multiple people looking at the content from that list. Um, at, at the moment, it's it's one account. Um, they didn't express the need to kind of differentiate between between the journalists. Yeah. Um, so, just kind of stepping back to um, to how we we implemented this um, back when we had the first uh, iteration of this software, uh, we did a, a initial proof of concept with Storyful, where we analysed Twitter data relating to um, the political situation in Bahrain. This was um, around September two thousand and eleven. And the way we did this was that Storyful provided us with an initial seed list um, containing 34 users, and essentially the, the journalist annotated those users as being uh, loyalist or non-loyalist, 
effectively. That, that means pro or anti-government. Um, and it's interesting to see that the initial data set looked a bit like this. So we had quite a large group of, of uh, non-loyalist users, a small group of loyalist accounts. And um, we ran uh, multiple iterations, four iterations of the cura curation system. And in this case, we didn't have a journalist in the loop. We simply took the, the top five recommendations each time and automatically added them. Now that's not how the system would, is used in practice, but for the purpose of this evaluation, that's what we did. And it's interesting to see that um, the recommended users that were accepted in the, in, in the red there actually tended to be in the, uh, the loyalist camp. And it gave us better coverage of that aspect of the story. And um, Storyful uh, looked at these accounts and verified that they were all, in fact, relevant to the, um, to the, to the story. And it's worth bearing in mind that this is, I mean, only a small number of users here. But uh, in the wider network of uh, users that are kind of tangentially related to this, you're talking about thousands or tens of thousands of users that were not recommended. So that was just our, our initial proof of concept. These are follower links. Follower yeah, but, but in the actual recommendations, like I said, we were using followers, mentions, retweets, and, and lists. Yeah. And Well, we, we stopped at this case. Um, the journalist that we were working with, he had suggested that he thought there was already good coverage of the, the non-loyalist side anyway. Mm -hmm. So he, he kind of thought that this was a sufficient coverage of the, of the story at this stage. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was just wondering whether this number five there was ever suggested. It, it was, no, it was kind of arbitrary, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I said, it was just a, an initial proof of concept of the, of the system. Um, to do something a bit more quantitative, uh, we published a paper at uh, REXIS, the Recommender Systems Conference, in, in Dublin in 2012. And what we did was we collected 10 different Twitter data sets uh, around the, um, the uh, 2012 Super Tuesday uh, Republican Party nominations. Uh, and these were based on 10 different curated lists from Storyful, uh, each of which related to a different state where there was going to be a, a GOP nomination. And the data set gave us uh, roughly 1.6 million tweets, 1.9 million follower links, and over 800,000 um, list memberships. And what we did was we performed a much more detailed uh, quantitative evaluation, comparing a, a range of different ways that you could different ways that you could recommend users. Um, and the way we performed this evaluation, uh, for those of you who are familiar with, with cross-validation, essentially you leave out um, part of the user set and, and then use the other part of the user set to try and uh, recommend those users again. And it, it means you can get sort of accuracy scores then in terms of the, um, the, how good your recommendations are. Um, and the, the main um, message from that paper was that we can identify these relevant users um, as distinct from ir irrelevant users uh, more easily by combining these different uh, network representations um, as, I, as I described previously. So that's... that's um, that covers the, this kind of problem of, of user curation, curation as, I, as I described. Um, another problem is, okay, if you've got all these user lists, how do you actually monitor uh, them in practice? You know, if you've got a team of 20 journalists, but you're monitoring three or 400 user lists, how do you actually do that? Uh, and how do you spot breaking news um, in the data as quickly as possible? Um, and this is a... a task that we refer to as, as event detection. And there are two key aspects to event detection. Um, tracking the volume of tweets posted by users on a given user list, but also looking at the similarity of tweet content from, uh, from users on the list. Um, and what we've noticed, and this is, this is work primarily performed by Igor Brigadier, who's at the back there. Uh, what we've noticed is that there are two, w given a, a breaking news event, there tend to be two things that are very indicative of, of many types of breaking news events on Twitter. You'll see a, an, a sudden increase in tweet volume, but simultaneously, you'll also see a sudden collapse in the diversity of tweet content. So what I mean is that you'll see a sudden burst in tweeting activity, but many of those tweets will all contain the same words. So either it'll be place names, uh, the names of persons, and also keywords like crash, earthquake, explosion. So here's an example from, uh, from last summer. Uh, a plane crash in Nigeria, and you know, suddenly you'll see uh, 
people in this user list, which is, has Nigerian users in it, uh, all suddenly talking about playing in Crash. And when you see that spike, and it's not just an increase in volume, but also an increase in volume all about the same thing, this tends to be uh, uh, indicative of, of a breaking news event. Uh, to actually monitor, uh, to, so this system, the, the kind of interface we have is uh, a map-based system like this, where um, colouring indicates the um, the event level in, in different uh, different locations. Um, the areas that are in white aren't aren't covered in this case. The areas in blue, there's very little activity. Purple, more activity. And as you can see in this case, which corresponds to the, the previous example, um, the um, Nigeria list in this case has a very high level of, of activity. Um, so the journalists can either monitor this kind of map representation, or more commonly what they do is we have um, Twitter bots set up that generate alerts, um, which uh, journalists can subscribe to, and then they can see the alerts for, um, for particular areas. Um, can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. Um, in this case, they're not, they're not weighted. Um, th this would be sort of one of the things that journalists would be, would be um, I guess, more familiar with. It. You know, in the, certainly in Storyfield, they have a sense for what geographical locations have um, a, a quite a high proportion of Twitter users versus um, countries that have a low proportion. Yeah, it, it, th there is there is a case that in certain yeah in certain geographical areas um, you could have alerts quite easily. Igor, is there anything you could add to that? Well, uh, it, re it really depends on how the journalists build their lists. So if if they want a very dense parse list, like for example, the Alaskans and they want for Antarctic as well, so right. there's five users. Um, those kinds of lists. In those cases, there, there weren't user well, lists, is that right? In, in the case of the US, that's actually, uh, it, it's, it's more of a limitation of the map. So they've, they've, uh, if, if you kind of zoom into the map, you'll see one for each state. So rather than having one for a country, they have the divisions for each one. And there's also lists for um, topics within countries. So like Australia has a list, a general list. just in terms of how the, the system works. Um, here's an example where we see uh, a spike in terms of the, the metric that we're, uh, we're examining. And uh, when you actually look at the, uh, the tweets corresponding to that spike, you see that in this case, um, it's related to a, a plane crash. Um, they're they're normalized, right? Portion of the, the core list that we have, uh, whatever that you know, spreads out, and then you kind of combine 
I guess this is where the threshold yeah, comes well, in. Yeah. So just to give you a couple of examples, uh, this is a, an example from, uh, from Stroyful. Um, in September 2012, there was a, uh, an earthquake in Costa Rica. Um, I think it measured 6.6 .6 on the, on the Richter, Richter scale. And um, this was at uh, 4.4 or 2.42. At 2.43, there was uh, this tweet by um, um, Bacan al Nica, which is it's like a, a portal site in um, Managua in, in Nicaragua. They said earthquake, and then there were other people um, who then followed uh, reporting this as well. And uh, at 2.44, so approximately 120 seconds after the earthquake, um, our event detection system uh, picked it up and alerted the, one of the alert bots, uh, alerted the story for team. So uh, I guess you could say that if the, the physical shockwave traveled about five kilometers per second from Managua, uh, or from uh, Costa Rica to Managua, well then the knowledge of the actual earthquake Travels about 70 kilometers per second from uh, Managua to, uh, to Dublin. So that's just an example of, of where it worked particularly effectively. Uh, another example actually from, from this week uh, from the Tunisia rift. Uh, we saw this, this sudden spike here. Um, this was to do with the uh, assassination of um, a prominent um, uh, opposition leader in, uh, in Tunisia. I think the, the funeral was actually today. But on Wednesday, our, um, our alert bot picked it up uh, and notified Storyful, uh, and then they, they posted it about it from their account. But it's interesting to see that our, we detected it at 8.04, um, Al Jazeera reported at 8.26, France 24 reported at 8.32, and BBC reported at, at 8.59. So this is, again, this is all about trying to get the story as, as quickly as possible. Now, obviously, you see there's a lag there between 804 and 844, where obviously Storyful will have to do some verification for that. And the more journalists you have to do this, um, the, you know, the, the more quickly you can, you can do that. But obviously, the, the point is we're trying to um, direct the attention of journalists to the, to the, the right area. I mean, uh, I can't imagine a case where you would want to have bots in a seed list. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like the, these, these bots, which um, uh, Igor has kindly given the uh, Terminator uh, avatar to, uh, are they're private, so they're only they're only accessible by the, the stories of journalists. Mm -hmm. Perhaps if if there are similar systems out there, they may also not be uh, making them publicly available. Of course, if there were, you know. If, if, we did, if the journalists did become aware of these bots that were producing valuable information, yeah, that would be useful to have in the seed list. Um, the, the, the false positive rate is, is high, right? Um, it's, it's pretty high, but not so high as to be overwhelming. Um, False, neg false negatives are, are much worse here, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's better to, you know, produce a false alarm than to completely miss an important news story. Yeah, definitely. Um, as as Igor says, it's it's very difficult to validate this because, really, what you want to do is you want to have an annotated data set where you're picking out the individual events with the correct timestamps, and sometimes it can be quite difficult to determine well when did an event really start, or you know, is this event significant enough to be, you know, uh, a labelled example. So it's, 
Um, I guess I guess you've got the scores, right? these kind of alerts here that they that they want to see yeah okay so I'll move on to a, a slightly different topic again which is um, finding communities of, of users in social media um, often it'll be useful to assign users uh, around a particular news story to different groups um, and when I say assign I mean you know do this in some kind of automated or semi-automated way uh, we might be interested in looking at users who are in different political parties or different factions um, or different viewpoints. Uh, we might be trying to find groups of users with expertise on different topics, uh, users in different geographical locations, which actually isn't as, as easy as it sounds because not everybody fills in their geographical location on Twitter. Sometimes it's wrong and sometimes people will, will say that they're on the moon or Mars, which is not, not particularly helpful. Uh, we might also be interested in looking at groups of users that have different roles. So these are the eyewitnesses, these are the gatekeepers. Uh, these are, you know, the pundits and, and so on. Um, so, for example, with the, the Bahrain user list, um, what we could do is apply a community-finding algorithm to try and split up the network into, say, the loyalists and the non-loyalists. Obviously, this is quite a, a trivial example, but in many cases, trying to take a graph and then find the, the clusters or the, the communities within that graph can be quite a, a difficult problem. And there's, I mean, there's a, a whole research area um, on community finding. Um, there were quite a few uh, PhD students in CLIC who were, who were interested in this, um, in this problem. Um, but um, one of the things that uh, we're interested in is not just looking at a single representation of the network. So remember, I said previously, Twitter provides many different representations um, of the same users. And what we'd like to use, what we'd like to do is use those different representations uh, to find communities. Um, and there are a couple of problems here. Um, many existing algorithms don't work with multiple representations. Uh, and if that's the case, you've got to say, well, what's the, you know, what's the correct representation? Um, are follower links better than retweets? Okay, maybe for this data set X, but what about data set Y? Is that, is that going to be the case as well? Um, and what we want to do is we don't want to kind of choose one representation over the other. Instead, what we want to do is um, develop a method for integrating multiple different representations um, from Twitter and use these to um, create a single unified graph which we can then analyze for communities. Um, this is a paper that we've, we've actually just sent into to, uh, Web Science recently. Um, it's also up on, on archive. I won't go into too much detail, but essentially what we want to do is take multiple different representations. And in this case, we're not limited to just network representations. So we can look at network representations, but also tweet content. And we have proposed an algorithm for combining these to produce uh, a single unified graph, which retains the information about the, the similarity or the, the connections between the users, um, and makes it easier for us then to find communities or, or groups of users that are, are related to one another. Uh, it's a direct, it's a directed unweighted graph. Uh, the, the examples here are static, but yeah, you could you could generate this on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Yeah, sure. Yeah, like like we're not we're not simply taking the union of the edges. What we're trying to do is identify the most relevant edges across all of the the views. Um, so. One of the nice things about the algorithm is you, you don't, unlike a lot of other data integration algorithms, you don't have to say, I'm going to give a weighting of 0.76 to the followers and 0.25 to, or 0.24 to the mentions and zero to the retweets. You, you know, it's, it, it, that aspect of it is, is automated. Um, so just to give you, um, I'll talk very briefly about two case studies that we, we looked at in, in the paper. Um, in 2012, we collected data relating to the accounts of all of the, the uh, MPs in the United Kingdom who are active on Twitter. We collected these using the, the user curation system. And this gave us uh, a total of about 540,000 tweets for 419 uh, users. So um, a lot of UK MPs are uh, quite prolific on, on Twitter. 
Um, and what we did was we applied this algorithm to build a unified graph. Uh, and as you can see, I mean, ignoring for a, sec for a second the labels and the, uh, the colors, you see communities that are very well separated from one another. And we when we actually then look at who these users are, and this is what the colorings indicate, we can see that you know, very clear separation between the, the Labour MPs, the Liberal Democrats, the Conservatives. You've got a small group of, of SNPs from Scotland, and then you've got um, others uh, as well, um, who many of whom are from, from Northern Ireland. Um, it's interesting, there are a couple of outliers. There's the, um, the leader of the Green Party living in Wales, and then there's uh, George Galloway as well, who appears to, to be among the, the Labour. Uh, they're, they're not in this particular uh, map, but I'll actually come to them later on. <laughs> uh, interesting, this group here, like this kind of subgroup, is the Scottish Labour MPs. Uh, so slightly, slightly more disconnected. Um, just a minor point, but you can see the, the kind of distribution of the, of the users there on the, the right-hand side, and I'll, I'll come back to why that's important later on. Uh, but, but clearly, this, this unified graph helps you identify the, the, the political community in the, in the data. Uh, similarly, we did a, a, a study for Irish politics um, since before the presidential election and 2011. We, we've been collecting data for TDs, MEPs, senators, uh, a certain number of councillors, uh, the presidential candidates themselves, and also political organisations. This gave us about 267,000 tweets. Uh, like I said, it covers both organisations, so parties like the Labour Party, and also TDs and, and other individuals. And again, when we apply this algorithm to identify a unified graph from multiple different representations, we get a graph that has very well separated communities. So you'll see on the left-hand side of the image is the Labour Party, on the right-hand side of the image, Fine Gael. You've got Sinn Féin and ULA here, Green Party, uh, Fianna Fáil, then a lot of independents here who sort of uh, sit in the middle of, of, of these groups. Um, again, looking at the distribution of the users, it's, it's kind of skewed. There's a link, yeah. yeah. So essentially, to go into a little bit of detail, the, the graph, what we do is, looking across all the representations for a given user, we try and find their, their nearest neighbours in each representation. We merge those lists of nearest neighbours, and that, that gives us kind of a, an overall set of nearest neighbours. And when you've got cases where you've got, um, you know, a, a Labour Party a TD who's, uh, you know, some of nearest neighbours are in the Labour Party, but maybe they're also quite similar to this independent TD here. That's how you're getting this kind of between community edge. But obviously, as you can see, there are very few between community edges relative to the, the within community edges. And that's this kind of clustering behaviour is, is what you want to see. It, it makes, you know, obviously, you know, we could apply an algorithm now to find the communities, but it'd be, you know, just cut them like this, you know, do it manually. Uh, if you want to try out any of these data sets, there are interactive versions of, of the data online with that, with that uh, URL. Um, as, as you mentioned, there's, um, there's also a dynamic aspect here. These data sets that I mentioned previously, we've just looked at all of the data merged together. So for the Irish politics data, we've looked at you know, 2011 to end of 2012, all together in a single data set. But obviously, uh, social media platforms have a, a very strong temporal dimension. Um, I think you need only look at Twitter activity this week in relation to Irish politics to give you a, a very interesting idea of how quickly things change and how, uh, how uh, this is reflected on Twitter. And so, uh, although a lot of research has focused on anal analyzing uh, social networks from a static context, uh, we're also interested in looking at tracking the development and evolution of communities over time. Um, and this, this word uh, evolution, I think, is, is appropriate here because, uh, you know, we, we, what we see is we see that, you know, at a given time, you have a community with, with uh, X number of users, but, you know, that community can, can expand, it can contract, it can split into multiple sub-communities, it can merge together with another community. You know, so you have this kind of evolutionary behavior over time. Uh, so, you know, in January, we might have this group here. In February, uh, this other group here, B, um, emerges. And then in March, maybe the two communities merge together. Um, and, you know, we're essentially, we're trying to, 
trying to um, map this kind of behavior um, on social networks. So um, some very interesting work has been done by Derek O'Callaghan, who's in the, in the audience there as well, in conjunction with uh, Dr. Maura Conway, who's in the uh, DCU um, Department of, of Law and Government. And it's been looking, it's involved in looking at the presence and activity of uh, extreme, extreme right groups on, on Twitter. Uh, and what Derek did is he collected a, a, a set of uh, curate, uh, data for a set of curated lists of extreme right users um, in um, specifically English and, and German language um, on Twitter. And then we analyzed the activity of these users over time. Um, for the English data set, um, we, we identified a, a number of different uh, coherent communities. It's interesting to see that, for example, this community here, which corresponds to the, the English Defence League, um, when you look at their Twitter activity over time, you can see quite interesting spikes in activity that correspond to, to known events. So, for example, this very strong spike here indicates a lot of users discussing the uh, anniversary of the 7-7 attacks. Um, another spike here correspond to uh, demonstrations by the uh, EDL in, uh, in England and Stockholm. And then at the end, there's also a couple of spikes um, that indicate uh, discussions around uh, pro and anti EDL uh, uh, demonstrations in, in, um, in the UK again. And similarly for the German list, if we take what we might refer to as non-electoral accounts, so these are this would be a community of, of maybe extreme right users who do not have a political, are not affiliated with a particular political party. Um, again, you know, we have spikes where users are discussing particular demonstrations. There's a, a very strong spike here which indicates, which corresponds to a time when this particular non-electoral group was actually banned by German, the German government. And then we see further on, Twitter complied with German law and banned that group from Twitter. And again, you've got people discussing this particular event. Um, and the other accounts here? So, oh sorry, other accounts are all the other users in, in the data at the time. So, so the idea here is to give you um, sort of, if, if, these, if these will be the, the average behavior, mm -hmm. this is the, the behavior within that community. These other accounts will be other users These, no, the, 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 the other accounts were all... So, so we're not we're not necessarily necessarily saying that other accounts is representative of all Twitter users, but we're just saying that that there were within this data set. yeah within this data set, and that even then, although these have particular affiliations in this area, you know specific communities will still react differently. So you know th this spike around seven seven, this EDL community were very concerned. They were very they discussed this a lot, whereas in general users in that data set weren't as interested. Each time period, uh, the 
So it's just it's simply an example. This red line corresponds to yeah. the activity within a community that's been found by the community yeah. tracking algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, so another aspect uh, that's related to this work is that um, very often you'll see communities of users will be active on multiple different social media platforms. So not just on Twitter, but also Facebook, YouTube, and also on you know regular websites such as, as forums and so on. Um, and, you know, there's been some work um, in this area suggesting that if you focus only on a so single social media platform, such as Twitter, it might only give you a partial picture of a particular community or news story. Uh, so what, uh, what Derek has done has, to, has been to study graphs containing multiple different node types. Uh, so again, this, this community that we found automatically that we're, we'll refer to as the BNP community in the, in the English language data set, it doesn't just con consist of Twitter users, although they're prominent here, <coughs> great nodes, but we also have Facebook profiles in blue, we have YouTube profiles in orange, and then um, we have the red nodes correspond to um, other, other websites. And an interesting thing is that we can see quite a, a reasonably well-connected community here when we look at you know, multiple different types of, uh, of nodes, but if we were to only look at Twitter data alone, uh, we'd see a, a far less dense community where some of the nodes wouldn't, would not be part of the community. So essentially what we're saying is that by looking at these multiple node types of these heterogeneous graphs, uh, we can get a better picture of what's happening in these, in these communities. Um, they can also, this, analyzing these kind of graphs with multiple node types can also be very useful to help us characterize and understand communities as well. So obviously we can determine the extent to which communities span multiple uh, platforms. Oh, so they're not. We're in this case, we're not mapping. We're not saying that this that this node, um, you know, uh, this is user X's Twitter pla uh, Twitter account, and also this is user X's Facebook account. We haven't done that kind of mapping process, and that kind of mapping process is is very diff difficult, particularly where you have uh, users like this who may not necessarily want to be want their identity to be revealed. Um, in, in too much detail. So, so, so there are. So essentially, here, here we've got. Essentially, these are these are related to one another based on, say, links. So, for example, in a Twitter feed, uh, you'll see users, Twitter users, frequently, uh, frequently linking to to this uh, website, to this YouTube account, or to this Facebook. So we're not necessarily saying these are the same people, but but they could be, or at the very least, there's a connection between them. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a weak link, but um, it's stronger than just looking at the Twitter nodes uh, on its own. So in terms of characterizing, um, like I said, we can determine the extent to which user or communities are across multiple platforms, and we can also discover content that's being um, produced or promoted by uh, community members. Uh, so an example would be for the uh, BNP community, you know, if we look at the top websites that they're linking to, you know, you, you see obvious stuff like the, the BNP webpage or uh, homepage, um, but you also see things like the Manchester Evening News. Um, strangely enough, you see David Icke as well, which there's maybe some overlap with, with conspiracy theorists there as well. When we look at the EDL communities, the top uh, sites they're linking to, uh, again, we've got things, or, sorry, the EDL, yeah, we've got you know, the EnglishDefenseLeague.org. But interestingly, you see uh, a lot of linking to um, 
you know, cited.dailymail.co.uk and thesun.co.uk. And we did a little bit of analysis to, to have a look at the stories, see what they're linking to. And interestingly, you'll see that, that the, this community frequently links to maybe um, stories about immigration or crimes that are purportedly committed by immigrants. And, you know, the, the, the interesting thing here is that perhaps these mainstream news sources are unwittingly being used to support theology, the ideology of this, these particular groups. Um, obviously, we're, you know, we've been looking at this from an analytical point of view, but our, uh, our collaborator, Mark Conway, in GCU is interested in the, the actual interpretation and the um, understanding how these groups are, are using social media to, to get their message across. We expand all, all short URLs. Uh, we have the, the long URLs, and then for the point, from the point of view of building these networks, we then collapse them to their domain names because otherwise the data is too sparse because you'll have many different pages on the same domain, whereas actually if you just reduce it down to englishdefenseleague.org, you, know, you, you can actually have um, data that's, that's more dense. Um, so I'm just going to talk about one piece of, of ongoing work that I'm, I'm interested in. Um, you might have seen previously that in the case of the UK and Irish politician data sets, uh, the, the balance between the different communities was, was uneven, as you, as you would expect, majority parties, um, smaller parties and so on. Um, you might have come across this phrase before, um, the filter bubble. Um, it's based around the idea that um, you know, many people believe that the internet is, uh, with increased personalization and so on, can become an echo chamber where, um, you know, if, if I'm interested in US politics um, and I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat, you know, on Twitter I'm only going to follow other Republicans or Democrats. I'm only going to listen to, to what I want to hear. Uh, similarly, for, for news creation, there's a problem where often one community or faction or viewpoint is far more vocal, uh, far more active, there are more users, and they dominate the signal. And for this task of, of user curation that I mentioned previously, building user lists, which are at the, the core of, of many of these tasks, um, user recommendation algorithms can often um, exacerbate these problems as well. So if the, kind of the, the true user distribution in the data looks a bit like this, so this is the actual distribution of you know, all users about a particular story, um, whether these are, are political parties or, or some, some other thing, it, it, it doesn't really matter, but ultimately, dominant group uh, dominates the recommendations even more. Um, group B here only get, uh, there are only a smaller number of recommendations for that group, and group C is completely marginalized. Uh, and so obviously you can imagine if we repeat this process where we're adding these users to our user list, the problem is getting worse and worse where you're, you're only hearing part of the story, I guess you could say. So the solution that I'm working on is based on a number of the pieces of work that I've described here. So, so construct a unified graph from multiple information sources so we can get a reliable picture of the, uh, the, the network around a news story, uh, find distinct communities in this unified graph, and then generate recommendations on a per community basis. So we'll generate recommendations for group A, group B, and group C, and the idea being that you can uh, maintain a balance between these different viewpoints. Um, and this is obviously very important from the, the point of view of a journalist who wants to kind of cover all aspects of a, of a story. So I'll just, just summarize, um, I won't spend too long, but essentially uh, news gathering um, by social media um, is highly valuable, but also challenging from a journalist's point of view. And also it presents a lot of very interesting um, research problems um, for uh, people who are interested in data analytics and, and network analytics. Um, we've developed and deployed a, a range of technologies that are being used in, 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 in the wild to help journalists detect and monitor breaking news stories on Twitter on, on quite a large scale. Um, and the other interesting thing is that these technologies can be applied to study activity um, around specific uh, topics or communities on Twitter, like uh, you know, um, mainstream political groups in Ireland and the UK, or looking at the extreme right in Europe or elsewhere. Um, and many of the same techniques that are useful for journalists 
are also useful for um, researchers in um, politics and social sciences as well to um, give them a better understanding and, and help help us kind of uh, you know deal with the sea of, of, of data that's provided by Twitter. So I'd just like to thank my, my collaborators in Cleek, some of whom are, are here today. Um, also the uh, journalists that I work with in Historical and in uh, DCU. So thank you very much for your time. And if you have any questions, let me know, please.